I was in BSF for just over nine years. Um, I started after my daughter Emma uh, just turned two and she was in the preschool program. And I was a class member for five years and then I spent four years on the leadership team, my role being one of the group leaders. The final session of the BSF year, when the study has been completed, the whole class come together for sharing day. This is an opportunity for everyone to share something about the study with the rest of the class. Something that has particularly encouraged them or challenged them from the study. Perhaps testimony of how God has impacted their lives. It's such an encouraging day to see how God has been at work in the lives of class members during the year. So today I'm going to share with you what I talked about last summer on sharing day. I'm going to expand what I talked about in order to give you some of the background information and help you to understand why it was that I chose these particular things. I've added in some of the principles, truths and applications that characterize both the BSF lectures and the notes. Last year we studied Genesis. Now when I became uh, leader at BSF, God gave me a verse. <laughs> Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This verse was very relevant to me at the time and confirmed to me that God was asking me to take the step of becoming a group leader. But this verse also seemed very relevant as I looked back over the study of Genesis. Because in Genesis, we see two different sets of people, those who conform to the pattern of this world and those who choose not to. So in the message, this verse reads, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. So here are a few examples from Genesis of those who conform to the pattern of this world and those who do not. So firstly, those who do not. Noah. For 120 years, Noah revealed his faith by practical obedience in everyday life. He patiently built the ark, which was a ship of modern day proportions in the face of ridicule from those around him. His faith in building the ark condemned his world, which refused to believe in it as God's provision of salvation. It's interesting that the Bible does not record rainfall before this chapter, and it's thought that before the flood, the earth was watered not by rain, but by a very heavy type of mist. How absurd it must have seemed to predict that water would fall from the sky in such volumes that everyone would die by drowning. How absurd for Noah to spend his time preparing for such an event. But Noah did not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead he acted on God's word because he knew and trusted God. Noah's story is here to strengthen and encourage us despite the pressures that we face. Are you willing to live in the minority in your culture as a voice of truth and hope? that speaks of God's deliverance through Jesus Christ. Secondly, Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God commands Abraham to leave the place in which he lived. This was no small sacrifice. God said, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. When God called Abraham, he was living in Ur. 
Today, it's just ruins, but 4,000 years ago, it was a busy port on the Euphrates River. And from its archaeological remains, it was clearly wealthy and powerful, one of the most advanced and magnificent cities of the then known world. To Abraham's family, leaving Ur must have seemed extremely foolish. He was to uproot himself from a comfortable place and set out on a journey without even fully knowing where he was being asked to go. We see here that it is wise to live in utter confidence that God's will is good and perfect. Following God's will was the wisest decision Abraham ever made. God asked Abraham to leave the things of the world in order to follow his word and trust his promises. What worldly things do you need to separate yourself from for God to be able to move you on? Thirdly, Joseph. Joseph's trust in God and his acceptance of God's will when he faced unjust suffering, rejection and humiliation produced in Joseph gentleness, modesty and the ability to bear greatness without wanting the glory for himself. He consistently gave God the credit for his talents, abilities and success. Joseph, like Noah and Abraham before him, did not conform to the pattern of this world. And so God made both the circumstances and Joseph ready not only for the saving of many lives when famine came to Egypt, but also to restore his family spiritually and reconcile them both fully, both to God and to one another. Will you ask God for faith to believe he will bring great good out of your circumstances for you and for others, and great glory for himself. So throughout Genesis, we see the terrible consequences for those who conform to the pattern of this world. Firstly, Lot. Lot was part of the group that left the magnificent city of Ur when God called Abraham, his uncle, to leave. In Genesis chapter 13, we find Lot and Abraham living in a region of southern Israel called the Negev, They'd just returned from a rather disastrous trip to Egypt. And now, the land where they were living was not big enough to support them. So from the message, Genesis chapter 13, verses 9 to 13 reads, Abraham said to Lot, let's not have fighting between us, between your shepherds and my shepherds. After all, we're family. Look around. Isn't there plenty of land there? Let's separate. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Lot looked. He saw the, plain, the whole plain of the Jordan spread out, well watered like God's garden, like Egypt. So Lot took the whole plain of the Jordan and set out to the east. That's how they came to part company, uncle and nephew. Abraham settled in Canaan. Lot settled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. The people of Sodom were evil, flagrant sinners against God. Lot made his choice by sight and not by faith. The plain of the Jordan looked perfect and Lot saw what he wanted most in life. Prosperity, comfort, a pleasant life, prominence. He chose to ignore the extreme sinfulness of the nearby cities. Lot did not find peace and happiness that he expected when he chose to put prosperity first. He allowed riches to deceive him And the sad result was that his life was unproductive for God. 
What do you look for first when you need to make choices? Do you choose based on what will bring you and your family closest to God by faith? Second, Isaac and Esau. Now, at his best, Isaac demonstrates that God richly blesses those who submit to him in faith. And I will come on to Isaac, actually, at his best a bit later on. But however, when his twin sons, Esau and Jacob, become adults, Isaac's spiritual life is at a very low ebb. Isaac knew that God had given his wife, Rebekah, a remarkable prophecy about their two sons, where Jacob, his youngest, would inherit the birthright and be given a position of leadership. But Isaac had become spiritually weak through a love of food, a love of comfort, and a streak of stubbornness. Isaac favored Esau over Jacob, and he was blind to his favorite son's sin. It says in Genesis chapter 25, verse 8, Isaac loved Esau because he hunted the wild animals that Isaac enjoyed eating. Isaac plotted with the already unworthy Esau to bless him in secret, even though Esau showed little appreciation of spiritual values and was indifferent to God and God's commands. But we see here that God's plans cannot be thwarted. God is sovereign, and he accomplishes his perfect will through imperfect people. So despite Isaac and Esau's scheming, Isaac does not give the blessing to Esau. God's plans cannot be thwarted. So are you like Isaac, so set upon your own will that you actually work against God? Or are you like Esau, indifferent and apathetic towards your spiritual inheritance? Next, Simeon and Levi. Now, the story in Genesis has moved on in a way that makes even the most outrageous soap opera look tame. In Genesis chapter 34, we see a family tragedy which results in an act of revenge. Jacob, Simeon and Levi's father, appears to have forgotten that he's promised God he would return to Canaan. And instead, he settles with his family in a place called Shechem. Jacob's procrastination had very serious consequences. Gradually, his children became deeply involved in the community and were influenced by the practices and the customs of the world around them. They conformed to the world and found their friendships there. Now, one day, Jacob's daughter Dinah heads out alone to visit the women of the land, and while she is out, the son of the local ruler sees her, takes her, and rapes her. Her brothers, Simeon and Levi, then take matters into their own hands and seek revenge not only on the man who raped their sister, but against all the people of Shechem. And when confronted, they defend themselves with a reply of self-defense that is typical of people today, arguing that it was other people's sin that forced them to sin. How do you react when someone sins against you or against someone you love? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The other thing that I shared last summer was that I had been really amazed 
when studying Genesis at the number of times that we saw Jesus, both in human form, but also we saw so many types or pictures of Jesus. So we see Jesus in human form, firstly, when he reaches out to Hagar. Hagar was the Egyptian handmaiden of Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And here we see Sarah doing some scheming. In fact, we see a lot of scheming throughout Genesis. Sarah offers Hagar to Abraham to be a second wife. Now, she did this because she'd been barren for so long, and she was looking for a way to fulfill God's promise that Abraham would have a son and heir. Taking matters into our own hands to help God achieve his plans leads to trouble. When Hagar realized she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Sarah, sensing Hagar's attitude, dealt with her very harshly, which resulted in Hagar running away. Genesis chapter 16, verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. This angel was a visible manifestation of the Lord himself. And here he gives her both promises and blessings. Hagar fled from her home because of sin. She did not expect God to seek her, find her, and in grace promise good to her. God comes to us not only when we are where we should be as Christians, but he also seeks us when we're lost, distraught, rejected, and without hope. God meets us just like he met Hagar in the place to which our sin and the sin of others has brought us. He visits Abraham. The next time the Lord comes as one of three men who visits Abraham. He actually comes this time to confirm to Sarah that she and Abraham would have a son within a year. And he knows that Sarah, who is obviously still into scheming, is outside the tent eavesdropping on their conversation. Genesis 18 verse 10 says, The Lord says, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And thirdly, he appears when he wrestles with and blesses Jacob. Now, all his life, Jacob depended on his sharp mind and his physical strength to get him what he wanted. But as Jacob prepared to return to the promised land, the Lord appears to him and wrestles with him to teach him that power comes only from God. God's blessings depend only on God's mercy, not on human desire or effort. No amount of money, intelligence, personality, or high position merits God's blessing. It was only when Jacob stopped fighting and clung to God that he overcame. After this encounter, Jacob was never the same, both physically, because he was left with a limp, and spiritually. He never again relied on his own unworthy methods to try to receive God's blessings. And also in Genesis, we see so many pictures or types of Christ. So firstly, the ark. Have you ever stopped to think that the ark is an illustration of our Lord Jesus Christ? Remaining outside of the ark meant inevitable destruction. Noah's faith, which caused him to enter the ark, is similar to the believer's faith in Christ. Belief involves an act of faith. For Noah, it was belief that the flood would come 
and that the act of entering into the ark was the only means of salvation. You were either in the ark or you were not. In John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says that if we believe in him, we shall not perish. However, verse 36 then warns us that whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. You are either in the ark or you are not. So have you truly, by faith, deliberately received God's promise of salvation so that you are in Christ You are either in the ark or you are not. And we see another wonderful picture of Christ in the king and priest Melchizedek. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham meets a mysterious priest and king, Melchizedek. He's mentioned here in just three short verses. The name Melchizedek means king of righteousness and he's the king of Salem. Salem means peace. His name and title reflect the biblical connection between righteousness and peace, which describes the character and power of Jesus Christ. Melchizedek comes out of Salem with bread and wine for Abraham and his men to strengthen them, a picture of Christ giving us spiritual bread and spiritual wine, his body and his blood. Melchizedek then blesses Abraham, and Abraham, who recognizes Melchizedek's God-given authority, presents to him a tithe of all that he possessed. Similarly, Christ blesses us with all spiritual blessings, and we, like Abraham, offer tithes in recognition of all that God has given to us. And then there's Abraham and Isaac. In Genesis chapter 22, God tells Abraham to take his son, Isaac, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain in the region of Moriah. Abraham obeyed God fully in this almost unimaginably hard test. He believed that God would be faithful to his promises to him no matter what the circumstances, even if this meant that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Only one man has endured a more severe test, and only one man has obeyed God more wholeheartedly. Like the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, Abraham obeyed because he was sure of the joy set before him. But when we look at Isaac on Mount Moriah, we see perhaps the most beautiful picture of Christ in all of the Old Testament. Isaac here was a youth, somewhere between the ages of 16 and 25. Isaac entrusted himself completely to God's love, as well as to his father's love and wisdom, he was not a helpless victim. Though Abraham bound his son and placed him on the altar, Isaac offered himself. He offered himself to God as a burnt offering. When God provided a ram as a sacrifice in his place, Isaac experienced God's love and mercy and the power of God to resurrect the dead. Today, God still calls those who trust him to offer every part of themselves to him as a living sacrifice. When we do, we learn that God blesses all who submit to him in faith. And finally, Joseph. I've already mentioned Joseph as a man who did not conform to the pattern of this world. And his life story offers many valuable lessons and applications. But are you aware of the number of parallels between Joseph, the beloved son of Jacob, And Jesus, the Son of God. For example, 
He was envied and hated without cause. He foretold that one day he would rule. He was obedient to his father. He was rejected and condemned to die. He was stripped of his clothing. He was sold for silver into the hands of Gentiles. He became a servant. He resisted temptation. He was falsely accused. He was deeply humiliated and suffered unjustly. But he didn't complain or indulge in self-pity, bitterness, or defeatism. He foretold the future accurately. He was a wise counselor. He was promoted to honor and glory. He provided for all in need, and all people were commanded to bow before him. What a wonderful picture in Genesis of our Lord Jesus Christ. So through this study, I came to realize that understanding Genesis is so important in understanding the whole Bible, and also in understanding God's attributes, his character, and his sovereign plan for the whole of humanity. Genesis unveils the secrets of the beginning of the universe, the earth, and humanity. It tells of the tragedy of humanity's fall into sin, of God's just judgment, and of his gracious redemption. Through this study, I saw a God who is sovereign, who is trustworthy and faithful in his promises, a God who leads those he calls and rewards those who trust and obey him. And this God promises to make our lives full of purpose that reaches into all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all the things that we have learnt about you through the scriptures, your attributes, your character, and your sovereign plan. Thank you that you are utterly trustworthy and faithful to your promises. Thank you that you lead those you call and reward those who trust and obey you. Help us, please, to apply the things we learn when we study your word and use us, we pray, for the extension of your kingdom in the places where you have put us. In Jesus' name, amen.